Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And kicking off a new year, we're kicking off a new format here on X's for Podcast, sort of making it a little bit easier to track your favorite titles. We're going to have Magic Mondays, X-Men X-Wednesdays, and Marvel Fridays. The last one's lacking alliteration. Yeah, it happens. So we're going to kick things off with a Magic Monday featuring Excalibur 26, Death of Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, and White Fox, as well as Trial of Magneto number 5. Now, kicking things off with Excalibur is so exciting because Excalibur is one of the oldest X titles in terms of concept, and this really is such a bold, incredible direction for the series to cliffhanger end. It's going to be really interesting to see where Knights of X picks up next year. But until then, if you guys like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So if you enjoyed this next segment, why don't you go over to Twitter and give us a like and subscribe over at X is for Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Exes for Podcast, where we read through Marvel's monthly Magic Mutants and Marvels. Uh, today, I am Steve, and <laughs> today I'm Steve. You can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A, and with me is... Hey, I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter at xnatexgrayx. Hello, I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento. You can find me on TikTok and Twitter. I've always got opinions. All you got to do is start the conversation with me. Trust me, it goes on. Uh, and today we also have another Steve. Well, Steven. <laughs> yes, uh, I am Steven. You can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder. And also on Facebook in the House of North Star Facebook group. Yes, it'll be very... I am Steve. Uh, there's Steven. Uh, it won't be confusing at all while we talk. Uh, yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> today. today we are talking about Excalibur 26, the final issue of this run before the crossover into the Knights of X reign in the Destiny of X era. Nothing confusing about any of that. Our writer today for this issue, titled The Fantasy is over is Tini Howard. Marcus Toe is credited as the artist. Eric Arseniega on colors. BC's Ariana Mar on letters. So to get right into the book, we open up with the Starlight Citadel and, you know, like a kind of a villain pon- wizard pondering his orb kind of deal. Merlin's like egg chair and talking to the people and negging his knights and whatnot and talking shit about Arthur. Oh my god, right? I'm like, who are they teenage girls? Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a lot of bullshit. Does anybody want to talk about Merlin before we get into the meat of the issue? <laughs> oh my uh. god. He's like a like freaking Doctor Doom almost seems reasonable in comparison to some of the shit he's pulling. I had like, what the, the hell? exact same thought, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have seen that post that's going around on various social media of, of like somebody calling the apocalypse's children the knights of the apocalypse. I just want this little image of Merlin going, and you are not my knights! <laughs> we are the knights that say me! <laughs> 
I mean, to be fair, he starts off by calling it the Lunatic Citadel, so we know oh God, he, uh, things are on a on a yeah. certain level. You know what? Branding is extremely important, especially when you're initiating a hostile takeover. And he wants yeah. you to know, like, this is all nonsense. Yes, this is nonsense. He is unhinged. Things. Oh. It was so. definitely a hostile takeover. <laughs> We're finally at the end of this stage of Excalibur in its existence as a team, but also as a title. We're moving to Otherworld now and doing some interesting different stuff. I don't know if I've actually talked to any of you on air about Excalibur before. I don't usually do Excalibur coverage. So I'd like to hear each of your relationship with this series and how, how you feel about this leg of the stretch finally wrapping up. I don't really have much of a relationship with previous Excalibur I got into it very, very late, and I was never that captivated by it. Like everything else in the Dawn of X era, I started picking this up immediately. I feel like some of the nuance of why things like Betsy becoming Captain Britain were kind of lost on me, but I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed seeing the development of Otherworld. I really love Ten of Swords. I have enjoyed the sort of sapphic tendencies of the series all the way through. Mm, yeah, I've, I've been enjoying those uh, moments, although it would it would be wonderful if editorial at least would allow it to become text on the page. But there's been I have been having that, like, I want to send Teeny Howard a message and be like, blink twice if they're not letting you make this, like... <laughs> this <room." laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, it very much feels like that, right? It does. And there are times when those moments, I mean, that we'll get to it, but Rachel kissing her on the cheek, it's just like that it's beautifully depicted, but knowing that it's not going any further and hasn't before this, it takes some of the beauty out of it. It absolutely does. It's unfortunate. It's nice that Rachel gets to be everybody's imaginary girlfriend, especially in this (laughs) series between Kate Pride and Betsy. But yeah, it's really unfortunate because like I've already got people coming out of the woodwork to tell me like, you know, friends stand like extremely close with their hips together, kiss each other. (laughs) No, that's just how girls are. Uh, Raven, can I get some of your thoughts on that? Girl, you couldn't put a piece of paper between those two. Like, that's a bit more than friends. That's all I got to say. But I did. I love seeing it, but I wish they would like take it a bit further. And I've known and read Excalibur kind of on and off since like the like pretty darn early. We're talking like the Lockheed Kitty Pride era is when I got into Excalibur. So like I love the title. It's it's definitely very different than a lot of the other X titles. It it relies much more heavily on you know magic and and dialogue and exposition that kind of thing so i i haven't i haven't kept completely up to date on everything that's going on but honestly since i started rereading it at ten of swords i've been really kind of happy with how they've been doing it oddly enough i know not everybody has been a fan but i've kind of liked how they've done it because they haven't shied away from really leaning into betsy braddock being captain britain and and like showing her dedication and showing her stick to and and strength of character. Mm, I always love that word, stick to It's very good. It's better than Moxie. <laughs> I've come to appreciate the book as a Betsy vehicle, which is not a book I would have chosen for myself to read, but it is the one that I have. So I've learned to enjoy it on those merits. And on those merits, it's pretty good. On my Excalibur reread, like last night, I just was mourning the loss of Apocalypse in this series because Teeny writes all of an Apocalypse. Like between the Ten of Swords, which was my favorite crossover of many years, and this book, Apocalypse was so good in Teeny's hands. And I feel like that kind of gets lost in the shuffle when we're all talking about Apocalypse, that that was Teeny's character work. But yeah, since, since Apocalypse departed the book, I felt like it was very directionless. But these last few issues have really revved up in a 
very pointed direction. And, you know, if Knights of X is going to be the Betsy sacrificing everything in other world series, then honestly, that that's a more interesting take to me than seeing all these other characters kind of not be Excalibur around her. Steve, uh, Steven, sorry, I'm Steve. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> about this because you were the one who asked us in the green room. I was very excited when uh, Excalibur was announced. I have read all the issues since. Okay, so my favorite part of the book before X of Swords was actually pretty much Apocalypse himself and actually his really weird relationship with Richter. Love it. <laughs> I like, Apocalypse for forever. some reason, yeah. really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> so I, I did read X of Swords and I did enjoy it, but I do think personally that the book actually got better afterwards and my theory on that is because she didn't have to worry about you know setting up and rushing out a whole crossover <laughs> afterwards yes. so her pacing got better as far as the book as a whole is concerned it's it's not my favorite <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want to criticize the writing because you're absolutely right the structuring is much easier after having to like get ready for the tournament really fast right? yeah so much like, so i i absolutely yeah. that's my firm belief is that I feel like the pacing is is much better done than it than it seems initially <laughs> before the crossover. Absolutely, you're you're completely spot on, and it's not fair of me to say that like the series is bad because I don't like the direction it's going in. I'm not particularly interested in this brand of Arthurian magic when I could be having so much more mutant magic of different kinds. But that is that is on me and not on the series. And judging mm, it on its right. own merits, it has really picked up. Yes, and I I actually do agree with you by the way about that as well uh, about you know having our different point of view on mutant magic. But yeah, they I mean, are I, located... I know about Arthurian magic. <laughs> I don't but they are located oh, no. in Camelot. <laughs> How would you not expect them to have like magic, magic, like Merlin type magic and fey magic? And I mean, yes, there's also going to be mutant magic, but that's a bit more, mm -hmm. you know, new in introduction. And I mean, they've literally spent their entire careers in Great Britain, aka England, like indeed on like it, it's it's expected for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I should have expected that. I just you know with the promise of the new era and the exploration of so many interesting concepts like we all knew the five were going to be explored and resurrection and protocols x-factor dealt yeah. in that it's kind of like for me if x-factor had instead just been like a government team investigating murders and nothing to do with the mm -hmm. resurrection where i'm just like i didn't even know there was mutant magic until apocalypse started being a wizard well yeah. to be fair they did go hard on it in those initial issues oh, which yes yeah they did. i mean part of the reason i think that there's some trouble with the writing pre ten of swords is because there's a need to establish so much stuff and it gets mm -hmm. done. And that's where a lot of my fondness for it comes is like all of mutant magic getting established, getting us back into other world, all this really cool stuff happens, but it is very like a never ending torrent to get there. And then it does kind of, become a lot more subtle from X of Swords into now. Yeah, and there's we've, yeah. we've come through some really good storylines, right? Like the um, the great, the little Malice uh, introduction, the oh. exploration of this character apart from Kanon has been really nice. And I love that as here at the end, they're really committing to this idea that Betsy is Captain Britain now. Like, this is not a weird thing that we were trying out and we'll get rid of it later. She is Captain Britain. This is her life going forward. Yeah, yes, I actually absolutely. like that they've pretty much solidified that seemingly. Yeah, I honestly, I as much as like I have not really like a strong uh, affection for Betsy Braddock as a character, like I have far less of one for Brian. I am, I don't care if he never comes back as Captain Britain. I think he looks <laughs> like Captain Avalon. 
I know I like he's his pretty himbo, so but he needs to be as far away from freaking Saturnine as humanly possible. Oh my I, god! I think it's funny that he has stayed in the book and rotated around her so much because, on top of just not liking it in general, it seems like the chemistry with Betsy is so much better. And Brian has a wife. Like, there's just nothing. I'm no longer interested in that relationship. Yeah, yeah Saturnine. Agreed. Yeah, I'm not interested in it at all myself. Yeah. Uh, very, yeah. very excited to see maybe some sapphic relationships here. Same. Become text. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so, another great moment when she pops out of the the portal with Saturnine in her arm. Oh yeah, yes. when they're on like blue fire, the fish. Was... Yeah, beautiful. No, no, actually. we do yeah. not need to put those two together. We do not need to put those. No, but no. I, love I will get a rolled up newspaper. No, <laughs> I love the art though. I want, it. I want, I want oh, yeah, to be no, art, out of constantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. We don't need enemies to friends to lovers kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually really loved the Rachel uh, kissing Betsy on the cheek moment. I just, oh, I I I want to know what Kate has been trying to say to Rachel for so long before anything is actually said. So. I'm holding my breath for that. Mm, Agreed. Yeah. Okay, well, you, you brought up Saturnine, and I, I feel like we actually have to get to this at some point. Saturnine's method of disposing of Merlin, which the, the politics of it are funky to me because, I don't know, I feel like I didn't really follow exactly why Roma would be into this deal at all or why Merlin is actually the person in charge when I, I believed it was Roma the whole time. But I, I, we got some kind of hasty explanation. How do you all feel about the, the reveal that this ties back to Hickman's Avengers and Secret Wars with the mapmakers? I mean, I think I always expected something like this would come up, you know, especially with Hickman still being head of X at this point and having Saturnine in the mix. I figured we would get some like some background that involved some of Hickman's previous work. I don't know that I thought that it would be this, but I don't know. I don't hate it. Like, I find it interesting that they're reaching that far back, but I'm not. I'm not upset by it by by any means. It, it does make some amount of sense. If if you've ever been a woman who's had to work under a man who's pretty much up his own ass, I could yeah. see why Roma would be like, "Yeah, we need to take we need to take dear old dad out of the way because I am never going to be out from under his shadow." And that is more than apparent. So if I want my own agency, he's got to go. Interesting. Yeah, I totally can buy that. I was I wasn't sure why she would take the deal to like not be in power instead of Merlin, but I guess being free is better than nothing. Yeah. Some people just want to be free. They don't need to necessarily rule over uh, a country or or domain or anything. But mm. like, if your dad rules or runs the place, you're always going to be at his beck and call. Mm. So you know, if she really wanted her freedom, yeah, the only way to do that is to get rid of him. So. Mm. There is that, I guess. And I'm sure she thought she could best Saturnine at some point in the future. And that might be a really interesting plot point after we deal with Merlin. Yeah, and she might be correct as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm, okay, yeah, I, I like that read on it. Absolutely. Freedom is certainly more important than owning your own place, especially when the place Roma got was so nice. I love that uh, Saturnine's just like, yeah, and I'll give Merlin the ugly kingdom. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> I love that. Bit in there. <laughs> I did too. 
So Saturnine has the power to fracture realities and fall through them. That's a pretty fucking big deal that she never let on before. But yeah, uh, certainly is an explanation for why she's in power. Honestly, it was not that big of a mystery to me. I was just happy to have Saturnine in charge. She's a uh, real cool girl boss. Definitely into it. Well, and so, she definitely thinks about long term rather than short term. It was never it was never a short con for her. It was hit him across the ages, across the dimensions, all of reality, long game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And she's still playing it. Yep. She always will be if things work out her way, which they just might. We see Excalibur come to her defense and that of Otherworld, at least on the on the uh, Avalon front, and be driven completely back. But before we do, we did get a nice little Rick Star moment for the first time in like what seems like forever. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> really appreciated that. What did you all think about Rick and uh, Shatterstar finally getting to kiss again and fight side by side as romantic murder boyfriends? Very pleased. Very, very, very pleased. Very pleased. Two... Wish there was more of it earlier. Right? But we got yeah. two queer moments in one book. I was so yes. happy. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yep. I was glad that at least somebody got the kiss on the mouth. But... <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm really wondering about Rachel and Betts, because it's not like we're totally against the idea at editorial, but maybe only for established relationships. I'm just not really clear on what the rules are. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're okay. just afraid to make her, her with Kate and Betsy at the same time, but, you know, instead they're just not giving oh, us either. No. Yeah. A lesbian polyamorous relationship that works. <laughs> that it's broken. Although, can we please talk about Braddock Isle for like three seconds? Yes, please. I want to get into it. Did I have, when did it, the Um, look of, ah, wow, that panel, like, um, I, I, I somehow did not remember it looking like that, or maybe I just never saw it from that angle. You're talking about how it looks like a cock. (laughs) I mean, that's literally the only way to describe it. I'm not not seeing this wrong, right? (laughs) No, you are not the only one. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that was that was lovely. I'm very glad somebody who was not me brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we get the climactic fight scene, which I gotta I gotta call out Mark Mark Stowe and Eric Arseniega doing an absolutely beautiful job with this pinup battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. wish it was more than one page, but absolutely same. Beautiful. Yes, I've been talking a bit about the art. Is there is there any panels in this that really stood out to anybody? I I kind of would like to hear like what's what's the standout for you because this was like a, this was a beautiful comp, if nothing else. I mean, I still go back to Rachel and Betsy, the kiss on the island. Yeah, I... I think it's it's that for me. Like we've talked about, like it was her entrance with Saturnine. It oh. was the moment where Rachel kisses her on the cheek, and then it was the pinup battle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody chose Braddock Isle, huh? Oh, well, uh, it's part of the same thing. <laughs> Braddock Isle, that first panel with everybody standing around. Emma is serving a look. Oh, I love her. Oh, man, yeah. Jacket. She is yeah. a queen. She's a queen. Yeah. It's it's also a look we have not seen her in yet, you know. And as far as I know. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I can't think of a time. But um, I just, I love the look for her. Yep. Shout out to Gambit's pants on the next page, actually. Oh, yeah. Good call. And Pretty wherever good. his shirt went. Emma does look amazing. I actually do like the last page as well with them horrified or looking horrified uh are you it's talking like, about when like rachel's turning around and tears rolling down her eyes yeah yes i'm sorry no i it wasn't the final page it was like 
I am completely. Oh, I see. It. Yeah, it's I'm the one so with sorry. the three lightning strikes. I, like, I actually thought that was like a really beautiful moment. I think Marcus Toe does such a gorgeous job, as well as the colorist. I have been a fan. I I did commission Marcus oh, yeah. Toe for a apocalypse piece, or well, a Richter piece. But, yeah, yeah, yeah I, so I, gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful stuff. Another panel I want to call out right when the Captain Britain core pops out, and you see Raptor Captain Britain and Goose Captain Britain. <laughs> I love seeing that. <laughs> yes. swan. I love, I love that Betsy has multiple groups. I love the swan. I just wish the the dinosaur, the raptor, had a little bit like purple feathers on it or something. Right, just a little something, just like a sousaw of purple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, that, that is a layup, and they did not take it. <laughs> there's a lion art Betsy. There's yeah, I, I like yeah. There's a fox Betsy. Yeah, the fox Betsy is pretty cool. I love the fox Betsy. Yeah. I, I think there's there's like a Grecian like warrior, and I'm like digging that one too. The uh yeah yeah I know which one you're talking about. Oh, I see it. They 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 did so many wonderful variants on Captain Britain. Yeah, and I yeah. I love seeing them. I honestly do. Absolutely, and I'm glad you referred to her as Captain Britain. Sometimes well, that's what she is like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Agreed. Well, it's like, I, I know. I know that I'm. It, her being Captain Britain is a little bit new to me, but yeah. honestly, they have Teeny's really gone out of their way to to like really, really, really hit it home again and again. That yes, this is Captain Britain. There is no changing that. It's we're not just gonna go back when it's convenient. This is Captain Britain, and I need you guys to remember that. I'm like, yeah, oh, I've really dug okay. that. Yeah. And I mean, these 26 issues have been about earning that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think I was in the minority of people who were like so stoked that she was back in her own body and mm-hmm. and taking on the mantle of Captain Britain. So this that has definitely continued to live up to you know, everything I wanted <laughs> for her. I'm definitely in that minority too. I, I think it was the smartest way to distance her from being Psylocke yes. is to give her an iconic identity. And, you know, it works because this is one that she's wanted. Agreed. Yeah. You know, it really, I, I don't think of her as Psylocke anymore. I think of Quanah as Psylocke. I, I agree. I, I wanted to bring up this data page. Did you all catch that Ruben Brousseau is forming his own, like, racist Excalibur? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excalibur will now be an expropriated name, sort of like the Marauders and the Hellions. But mm-hmm. for So it's going to be Bregscalibur? Oh! <laughs> that was... Oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I, I'm adopting that. I will be <laughs> using that. I think I'm going to start using that as well actually <laughs> you are welcome <laughs> oh, oh my but god i think that's a cool thing with the changeover to knights of x there's a little bit of this like are we losing excalibur yeah is the x line right. losing the excalibur i was curious about that myself mm, yeah it, feel, it feels a little bit like tony stark buying the x-men or something oh <laughs> Of course, Betsy plays the loner hero sacrifice play, kicks everybody out of Otherworld and decides to go off alone to defend all of Otherworld and hopefully not die and come back completely different. Do we think that's going to happen? I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't, don't think actually think it's going to happen. Yeah, there's no way. Well, she's going back to defend not only Otherworld, but to defend her core, which, I mean, right. that's what a good captain does, is you fight with your people. And she's like, look, I'm not just doing this because, oh, you know, random sacrifice. Oh, I'm going to be the big tough. No, I'm going back because I'm defending my people. I'm defending our home. I'm defending the realm that I have been sworn to, and I take that duty very seriously. But I want to make sure that my friends 
and my loved ones are safe before I do that. Right. For her to do that, oh, I actually teared up a little. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, we can let you do this. Yeah, that's still that was die. A great yeah, it was a great moment. And she's been through so many major changes <laughs> very like throughout such a short amount of time that I really don't think they're gonna bring her back <laughs> in like a crazed state when they already kind of approached that situation with her dying from exoswords and then going through universe to universe to get back yeah uh i i loved it i love this and it's something that wolverine would do and i would roll my eyes at but it makes perfect sense here oh same agree and that panel of rachel crying at the end you know again just yeah what is going on with these two ladies (laughs) right um but excited to see rachel in that preview uh image yeah, excited to see Rachel and Gambit, of all people. Yeah, Gambit, I was not going to say excited to see Gambit, because I don't know how I felt about that, but he was there. Yeah, yeah. He, he was there. Gambit is always there, if we've learned anything from this run of Excalibur. He is certainly there. Very true. <laughs> you know who else is there? Jubilee is also there. Jubilee, uh, who has uh, done almost uh, nothing. I was just looking <laughs> well, at the next, She's there to carry, carry a baby. Jubilee, I don't see her. Yeah, that's, that's been her entire purpose was is to carry shogo i can carry a baby and occasionally i can do sparkly light shows for other little fairies then they love that you know she's honey you jingle keys that's what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) she's exploded entire buildings before but sure let's let's just stick to the little sparkles that that uh that she's known for, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she did. She did rain like a bunch of plasmoid swords down on the elves at the beginning. The elves, the, the priestesses at the beginning of the ten swords. But yes, pretty much absolutely nothing uh, else. We did yeah. her double brutally murdered. So I guess Jubilee got a moment to shine. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, she can take these experiences shine, back like with her and restart Generation X. Mm, I <laughs> would be so about that. Me too. <laughs> So oh my Woo. i felt that so hard i apologize i just reacted it's okay we understand we <laughs> understand yes a generation x title is exactly what we need right now yes 100 they need to talk oh, to each man. other this is such a weird situation they need to talk about it yes i absolutely agree because we haven't gotten any kind of uh monet and sync reunion we haven't right. gotten any kind of jubilee and monet interaction at least i we haven't remember. seen skin at all he was mentioned I... as resurrected for sync which that sucks but like right. also he has not been seen since then what the fuck i know and he's he like still carries like one of my favorite jokes in like all of like x comics um from the genera- generation x days so it's like i would love to see more of him and also more latina representation please yes absolutely very welcome agreed <laughs> well, okay so we've come to the end a world of magic and adventure awaits us unless we're mutants in the new knights of x title i guess i won't be picking that up <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how are y'all feeling about uh this upcoming this upcoming uh run are you excited thoughts feelings uh, i am really excited i i like the concept i like the 
three people that we see. I mean, I really just like Betsy and Rachel and I'm excited for them to be on an adventure. However that turns out, I'm in it for the for the start and, you know, how I felt about Teeny's work, I feel like I'm going to end up really enjoying it. I'm I'm actually gently optimistic um about it and I want to see where it goes and damn it, they better bring back my bay cuz <laughs> if they don't, we're going to have some issues cuz <laughs> we barely get to see her represented and I freaking love her and I think she's got a lot that she could contribute to the title beyond just being a big beautiful heavy brutalizing destroying i'm sorry what was i saying again yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but i'm i'm i i am gently optimistic as to where this may go and i really hope that it reaches its full potential <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. Now this next segment, Death of Doctor Strange, Spider-Man and White Fox, we went nuts for these two titles. Not that Death of Doctor Strange hasn't been super fulfilling, but these one-shots have really added another layer to the way the Marvel Universe interacts with the idea of a Sorcerer Supreme. We loved these issues, and we hope you guys love our coverage too. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, a show where we take a look at mutants, marvels, and dead magicians week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hello, and I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. You can find me on uh, Twitter, TikTok, sometimes Instagram. I don't know. Come strike up a conversation. I have plenty of opinions for everything. Hey, everyone. It's Nathan. Hey, you can find me online at Twitter at DazzlerAOA. That's right. Twitter at DazzlerAOA. I don't use Instagram, so you can find me there, but I don't post. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike that Rokumiho that came out of nowhere and really messed with Silver Fox, and then she beat the crap out of it. Yes! So we are here to talk about two of the most exciting one-shots in this Death of Doctor Strange situation. That's going to be Death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man, as well as Death of Doctor Strange White Fox. Now, Death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man, written by friend of the show, Jed McKay, with art by Marcelo Ferreira, and inks by Wayne Foucher. Colors come in by Andrew Crossley with Peter Pantazis, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. As always, if I have done your last name a deep disservice, both come for me on Twitter and let me know how to say it right so that I can much more lovingly not kill names. From there, we're going to take a look at Death of Doctor Strange White Fox, written by show favorite Alyssa Wong, with yes. art by Andy Tong and Luciano Vecchio, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So we know that we've kind of skipped over issue three and we know that the blade special is out and we're going to get to those shortly. But these two one shots represented something really interesting for me. I love that at some point in time, they just said, Jed McKay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, a man with an agenda. And they said, well, what's that agenda, Jed McKay? And he said, black cat. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, cool. Uh, well, she's one really awesome character. What else? And he was like, mm, 
Felicia Hardy. <laughs> and they were like, oh, oh, okay. Same, same lady. But we like where you're thinking. What else? Black hat! And like, it just kind of... And then you forgot in the background the whispers of Magic the Gathering. Oh my God, right? Well, so... Jed McKay, you know, comes into the Marvel offices and everybody's kind of hiding behind a chair and they're all kind of like using it to poke him back, right? And he's just smiling and waving and they're like, Jed, okay, all right, buddy, listen, not Black Cat. And he's like, no, 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 not Black Cat. And they're like, oh, fuck, thank God. What is it? And he's like, I want to kill Doctor Strange. And they're like, it's not Black Cat. We can't say no. Okay, (laughs) you can kill Doctor Strange. And he was like, awesome. Kai do a Spider-Man one shot and they were like that sounds great spider books those always sell especially when a spider movie comes out what's it going to be about and he just goes well since you asked black hat and um (laughs) that is where we're at with this first one shot I gotta be honest I I had no fucking idea what was going on in Spider-Man I uh, so I guess Ben Riley is Spider-Man. Yes, it's the '90s again. Ben Riley Spider-Man, and everybody thinks Doctor Strange is dead. It's the '90s, but in such a better way. <laughs> I mean, because like I'm a big Ben Riley fan. I love the look. Uh, you know, because he's kind of like. Okay, so like if you were from the 90s, your whole existence was based on either being weird or looking scary, right? <laughs> or doing so, both. <laughs> yeah, right? That was like a big thing. Just ask Roland Emmerich. And yeah, so, I was the only black goth kid at my fucking school. <laughs> you would have had so many people at my school to hang out with. Oh my goodness. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> so I I love how Ben Riley is kind of like, I'm broody, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm like Spider-Man, but, my but I'm not. so much more streetwear. <laughs> accessible. Look and at my hoodie. Oh. It's blue. No, actually, I own that hoodie, and Jonah stole it a long time ago, and he looks so cute in it. I was like, you should keep it. It, it is a really cute, cute hoodie. It. I love that hoodie. I love that look. Aww. So, I mean, okay, so I guess that's my first question. Everybody, start your engines with... Ben Riley, where are you at, guys? Where where are you at with this? You're like you you pull up to Spider Man and you're like, hey, like right, you pull up to Spider Man and it's not Spider Man in the car. So where are you guys at with Ben Riley? Oh my god, I I I was so confused at first. I'm like Ben Riley. Why do I know that name? But I couldn't I couldn't place it. I'm like, what the? Oh, he's oh 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 my god, really really oh okay, this could either go really well or just well, it's a filler. <laughs> But I was I was pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly surprised. I can do this. I swear I can talk. Words. You can speak words. <laughs> oh um, yeah, no, I was I was pleasantly surprised by it, and I was like, oh okay. And I love that Black Cat was like giving him shit the entire time because it put it in perspective. Absolutely. You described Ben Riley as brooding Peter Parker, but I got him very much close to being Peter Parker because he was like, Felicia, I'm Spider-Man. She's like, no, you're not. And he's like, Felicia, I'm Spider-Man. And she's like, no, you're not. Spider-Man is laying in this hospital bed for undisclosed reasons. 
And he's like, but Felicia, and she's like, well, you have to prove it to me in a series of tests that Dr. Strange gave us. <laughs> and then he did. So I haven't read any of Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, Peter Parker clone. All I know is that he's a Peter Parker clone who is the Scarlet Spider, and he has a cool costume because I like the hoodie. That's as far as far as my knowledge goes with the character. So for you to tell me that he's more brooding and edgy, a la, what are they called? I forget their names. Uh, I call them edgelord an edgelord <laughs> oh no, no no oh i'm thinking of yes but i'm this two specific ones i was thinking of was cloak and dagger mm. oh. oh well you know i gotta be honest it's that it always comes back to that brian k vaughn joke where cloak and dagger at the end of an arc of runaways do something that is going to leave them very unpopular in public opinion and the runaways say are you sure you guys want to do this and cloak and dagger reply popularity has never been a concern of cloak and dagger and i just lose my shit every time okay i i gotta say i was worried right i, I grew up i grew up reading in the 90s right so of course the clone saga was something i read and i you know, it's not really the greatest thing you know ben riley being spider-man but jed mckay obviously was a big fan of that and he brought it out in the best ways i love that ben riley is still rocking the blonde dye job to set him apart from peter parker and I love that, like, everybody can just, like, look at him and tell it's not Peter Parker and that it's Ben Riley instead. There's, like, a lot of carryover from that era. The costume is great. The banter between Felicia and Ben is amazing. I think my favorite part was when Ben was like, uh, yeah, but you're trying to get Peter out of the bed. Usually you're trying to get him in the bed. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I love this. Like, if the Clone Saga and the Scarlet Spider and Ben Riley Spider-Man had been like this, in the 90s i'd have been all aboard love it this issue is very different than what i think maybe a lot of people might remember felicia for which is that she was well known for being in love with spider-man but not caring about peter parker but what i like about this is that she's very antagonistic to the current spider-man in the costume and it's very funny to think about that how she was basically pawing at him puns intended for being black cat and to not having wanting nothing to do with the current costume Spider-Man, I find that very fascinating. Well, she knows and, who our Peter is. Well, and that's even kind of the thing that I I think is where Jed McKay's Black Cat is such a complicated, complex character. He took this cultural perception of this character and said, yeah, that's cute, but you understand she's a complex, dynamic woman. You know, she's one of those characters who I'm going to playfully refers to it as suffers from fabulousness syndrome, where we know these women have done these incredible things. They have done these unbelievable feats. And when what I'm going to say affectionately uh, are wiki fans come across the character in the movies they sometimes are like well that's not possible they can't do that We're like no 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 but like sue storm can really hold back an army i understand that you're placing jessica alba sue storm and you don't know that she's taken down the hulk but she's done those things and that's really cool so it's never even coming for anybody's level of fandom because every level of fandom is welcome to the table. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think what happens for so many characters is a character like Black Cat, who is 
very much defined by her sexuality and her beautiful sensuality and sort of the and girlfriend factor, unfortunately. I, I think it was a very long time before somebody came in and said, hey, look at all the beautiful stuff that's been done with this character over the last 40, 50 years. If you would just open your eyes and put it all together, you would see this incredibly dynamic character that already exists. Like, I don't feel like Jed McKay came in and saved Felicia. I feel like he came in and shone a light on all of the beautiful work in her character going back to her first appearances. Yeah, I just, I can't, ugh. in my brain, it, I am, I'm always so tired of the side chick vibes that they give with Black Cat because she is such a wonderful and amazing character when she's on her own doing her thing. Like, she'd make a great, almost antagonist, not a villain, but an antagonist to Spider-Man, um, you know, or give her her own thing. So this guy, this guy that we're talking about right here has done exactly what you're looking for in exquisite, beautiful detail uh, with an incredible eye for where the character could go and a deft passion for developing characters sort of beyond where they've been allowed to go. Yeah, you'll, you'd love his runs. They're really great. Jonah, I believe you read a few issues of it with me way back. I did, I did. We read it for Patch. Wolverine showed up as Patch. It was amazing. I'm going to say something super stupid, and please, nobody hit me with the stupid stick, but guys, did this Moon Knight feel like Batman to anyone else? <laughs> well, you're I not mean... far off. Like, yeah, you know, because what's funny is it's the same writer. It is. Yeah, I I thought he was written, written in the same voice as much as you could for a short cameo for it. It's just the, the artistic styling made it. I can see why you would feel a little bit more Batman-esque because it's just it's just a totally different style than what we're seeing now. I expected them to pan up to the person's forehead just to see a moon carved into it. <laughs> I'm just saying. True, we didn't get to see that. We didn't get to see it. We didn't get to see it. So, and and now I'm gonna I'm gonna sell myself out. I I'm gonna sell and see myself out at the same time. I really love reading digital comics. I'm I, I dream in digital because it's better than nothing. And it's really because I don't have a whole lot of space these days. Where the fuck am I supposed to put comics? I also buy omnibus. Where the fuck am I? I can't. I cannot personally continue to carry the entire comic book industry single-handedly on my back by the strength of my wallet. So, you know, you make your choices. And every now and then, I get to these fucking couple of splash pages in a row, and I'm like, really? <laughs> I know I can put it on auto-rotate and turn my tablet, and I do. I, I really do. But these dual splash pages... One of the things that having to take that time to adjust my page, and I know, seriously, such modern problems I suffer from these <laughs> days, but it does force me to think about the nature of how these tell a story and why they had to be to, why they had to be a splash page like this. And one of the things that doing this allowed us to get away with is it allowed me not to roll my eyes at this sort of, you know, Rocky up the stairs montage of Ben Riley finally learning to get his first hard on with Felicia. I feel like 
baby's little coming of age story, and I'm just putting it out there, has probably happened a few times. Now, what do you guys think I did when it came to Ben Riley? Oh, that's right. I said, what do I need to know about the Scarlet Spider? And I'm going to make a really embarrassing confession. I got really confused and I was like, all right, how did he come back? Wait, okay. Oh, he's been uh, back no. for a while. <laughs> he's the one that I love who's half Latino, half Irish. No, that's Miguel O'Hara. Oh, that's Spider-Man yes. <laughs> 2099. That's oh, my no. favorite spider. Hold on. Oh, duh. He's from an alternate universe. No. No. <laughs> that's Miles. He's the clone. Okay. How do you bring yes. how do you bring a clone back? Did you reclone him or is he like <laughs> did you oh shit, he came back in something called Dead No More. Oh <laughs> fuck. Okay. So I did a little bit more reading, and it turns out our good buddy Ben Riley got what we now affectionately call Kate Bishop. <gasps> What's getting Kate Bishop, you ask? Let's talk about getting Kate Bishop. (laughs) Getting Kate Bishop is when you are the hot thing. Your book is up. You are Scar, son of Hulk, and you've got your own stupid crossover, my friend. And out of nowhere... You stop appearing in every book. And that's what happened to our good buddy over here, Scarlet Spider. He was appearing with some great regularity. I mean, he had like five and six appearances some months. He had his own title that hit 25 issues. And then Spider-Geddon happened, which LOL. And then (laughs) he didn't appear for over a year. At which point he appeared for a single issue and then did not appear for a year again. He has now had a handful of appearances in Iron Man. And I'm like, okay, sure, but fine. And I find myself from this issue particularly interested in Ben Riley, Having done a little bit of research, he's... uh, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but he's only like 300 appearances could knock that out in three months all right let's do this and so (laughs) i find myself really sort of amused that there really are still ways to tell with great power comes great white brooding and (laughs) i really really liked this issue and you know what loved it it had nothing to do with death of dr strange in any meaningful way But I think it's kind of what I said earlier. I think they were foolish enough to put the chairs down. And Jed McKay said, Black Cat! (laughs) And it's what happened. So I think it did have a lot to do with the death of Doctor Strange. And even though he's dead. Hold on, where's the eject button? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on a second. But I, I think I think in just showing everything that Doctor Strange did in a day and like personifying him as being the village doctor. I think for me, it was able to make me understand that Dr. Strange may not be the complete asshole that I always think he is, even though he is, but he's still got, he's, he's multifaceted. He may be the complete asshole, but he's also kind of not a dick sometimes too. I thought of them bringing the pretzel to the lady who, was she a magic lady? I didn't quite get that. No, she was just a clone just a lady. lady. She was just a lady, she was right? Just a lady. She was just a lady. She was just an essential worker that Stephen Strange hung out with at odd ends at night to make sure she got on her bus okay. And Dude, just the I fact cried. that Stephen Strange, who is this, like, who I have seen as this cocky asshole prick, like, would do that for somebody really kind of made me go, oh, maybe I totally misjudged him. Him. like not totally but maybe there's some good to him 
right like what is it with comic books in this new era making me like characters I that know. i <laughs> loved to loathe like tony stark is still absolutely number one shit list cannot stand him but like stephen strange was like also that asshole level that i'm just like oh i don't know if i could ever like you and just much more recently he is slowly i'm not saying i like him but it, he seems far more human and far less of an arrogant a-hole and that's a difficult thing for me to deal with same same and this issue right here brought that home for me and i'm like really judd mckay don't make me right. fucking like stephen strange <laughs> right. because god damn it well, oh but i mean god. i think that goes to the heart of why these characters exist and why they get movies and why we care you know I I'm I one of the magics of getting to help edit the show and help run the show is I get to have pet projects and one of my pet projects is most certainly Ghost Rider everything and <laughs> so we're going to be covering some Kushala and to cover that Kushala I was like hey let's talk some Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme so I was like Raven you should read it and so now she's read it oh and God, so now we yes. can talk about it and it's so good <laughs> so good and I bring this up because I think you couldn't have Sorcerer Supreme without Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. But we see the potential of what a Doctor Strange story could be if the character wasn't muddled by these obnoxious fallibilities. But they're what keep the character reasonably in check. The character needs them. And I think that's the magic of putting someone like a Jed McKay who has an emotional intellectual foresight into that role. I think that's what really allows this character to shine. Yeah, I yeah. I absolutely agree with it. And and bringing a pretzel to a cleaning lady at the end of her shift and making sure she gets on the bus kind of made me cry a little bit. He's dead now. Yeah. What the fuck, Jed McKay? Thank you for making me care about <laughs> Stephen Strange and thinking he's not a complete dick. Hey, Jonah, how do you feel about his deadness? Is it pretzel-based or no? <laughs> I am convinced the people at the Marvel office don't know how large New York City actually is. <laughs> Quite frankly, how small it actually is. Because there's a lot of shenanigans that go on for magicness. And Manhattan's not that big. It's the smallest borough, and people don't realize that. So I'm convinced, a la... Listen to this statin privilege over here. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the thing. No, no, the only time we've ever had any representation, my Italian accents coming out, is Deadpool being the king of monsters. But, like, there was nothing in there that says, like, oh, yeah, there's something magical in Staten Island at the stop. No, they left it alone because it's a dump. Anyway, between this issue as well as the New York sewer system, which now has alligators, which isn't, you know, far-fetched. It's a very famous and well-known urban myth about there being alligators in New York, which also had some truth to it. But, like, I also like to go on these rants about how the underground of New York City has multiple, like, empires beneath it, and I don't know how. <laughs> right. Between the Morlocks, the Mole People, Legion of Monsters, as well as all the other random things that they happen to just find in the sewers of New York, I'm convinced they don't know how small New York is. Anyway, <laughs> after that rant, um, so I haven't read a lot of previous Doctor Strange where I've seen him more as asshole-ish. Uh, the most current things that I've been reading that have him in it are The Death of Doctor Strange, as well as Defenders. And in Defenders, he's not really an asshole over there. He's too busy trying to make sure that nobody dies while they go through this time-traveling, parallel universe hopping shenanigans, as well as calling people when they didn't ask to be called, which is kind of rude. 
also <laughs> quite funny. And he's also flirting with Galactus's mom, too. So, <laughs> Can somebody please talk to Al Ewing about the audacity, the sheer audacity of him to make every character have nuance, depth, and a complex personal inner oh. world? It's really just very a lot to deal with every issue, my friend. Yeah, save some for the rest of the writers. Anyway... <laughs> So what I like about this issue is it helps, I think, ground Doctor Strange in a way that he has interdimensional duties as the Sorcerer Supreme, but he also has stuff that he does specifically to protect his city of Manhattan. And I like that. I like that he's a little bit of a local hero, and he might not be known as Sorcerer Supreme Doctor Strange. He's known as Stephen Strange to some people, and his (laughs) magic is just making sure they have a nice night and get home safely and i like that there are more facets to who dr strange is and his larger role in the earth 616 universe of this marvel of you know this world i like these missions they reminded me of hercules Oh, no, good, not yeah. like Hercules, Marvel Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> not Marvel Hercule- Hercules. Like Hercules in mythology, where like Hercules got the list of things he had to do, and then he did them all well. And then Zeus was like, "I guess you could be a god." And he's like, "Yes." I want to mention that one of the things that I love about the new Agents of Atlas is that they are really clever, original characters. And when I say they are original characters, gosh darn it. They are really original characters. White Fox has only existed since December of 2015. She has had less than 40 appearances. Swordmaster has only existed since July 2019 and has had less than 40 appearances. I love these characters for representing heroism in the face of an era where we need to have things like stop Asian hate. It is such a powerful statement to have these characters and uh, that to Taguki is so hot is just not right. Uh, it's it's just not right as is the same thing with Swordmaster. It, this is such an eye candy book and it's drawn so exquisitely so i want to bring you guys in and ask you guys how you feel about the agents of atlas if these were characters you had familiarity with or you know if this was a new take on agents of atlas for you I know one of my big favorites along with Jojo is we love Amadeus Cho. So I know we have some experience with these characters. Oh, so uh, looking at all these characters, I was like, I need to know if these were characters created for this to flesh out the superheroes around the world. And these are, you know, heroes for Korea, or if they've had other actual appearances. And a large number of casts, even though it's a brief cameo, were actually created this year. A lot of these characters are extremely brand new. Even the characters that have a little more years under them, like Luna Snow and White Fox, they, um, they've only been around since like 2019. These are extremely fresh and new characters, so a lot of them have a lot of play that writers can work with to give them stories, to give them backgrounds, to give them fleshed out character designs, as well as character arcs and stories they want to give them, which I would really love. I think that a lot of these characters have really interesting designs, and I think it would be really cool to be able to see them more. In true Jonah fashion, there's a character here that I am just discovered today, uh, but I'm currently obsessed with. She doesn't make an appearance here, but it's Crescent, and she's 10 years old, and she has a 
half moon bear spirit and i love her and <laughs> it's great but about these characters i i really love that even if they don't have a lot of appearances even if they're not in many titles yet that there is still a pretty strong cast and amount of characters that Alyssa was able to call upon to use for the story even if for just cameos i know comic wise they introduced really because especially like luna snow and white fox were in Marvel Future Fight that game before they appeared in comics. So like that like why I know these characters but I haven't read the tie-in comics yet. Like I love the idea of Luna Snow. She's basically like Dazzler but like different. So like I'm like yes, she's like her she's a singer too. So I'm like yes. She was a K-pop star. She was a K-pop star. So I'm like <sighs> I really got to get into these characters, but I really didn't have a good jumping in point. And this being part of Death of Doctor Strange was really my first exposure in comic form with these characters. And I love the fuck out of them. And I need to read like everything about them now, especially if Alyssa Wong wrote them. Like, holy shit. Please let me recommend starting with Greg Pax, the totally awesome hulk it is such a great jumping on point because it segues into champions and agents of atlas and it's a really great way to introduce yourself to so many of these characters who really are just as incredible as you want them i'd heard of white fox but i had never seen or read anything else with any of these other characters and i'm like where have they been all my life oh my god like auntie auntie i was instantly obsessed like not just the character design but she's like she's quick she's witty that magic the 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 style of magic that she's doing is just oh my goodness so eye-catching and just like i need to know what's up with those cards like i need to know things i need to go find them now like i honestly wish that we got to see these kind of characters asian characters spread more evenly throughout our comic book universe and not just localized to one point but i am so glad that we get to see them because now i'm like oh this looks badass and like it's going to be taken from a different uh from a from a different point of view from a different perspective and and it really was this book was absolutely delicious and i'm just like oh my god i just i need this i need this so much and i need to find a jumping on jumping off jumping into whatever i need more <laughs> and i don't know that anyone else on the show has read as much sword master as i have which you know, he's not a character that I feel, you know, I was making that joke about people got Kate Bishoped and I feel like Swordmaster got Kate Bishoped when he first dropped in in July, 2019, they made a huge deal about him and he actually ran pretty uninterrupted from July of 2019 through the end of 2019, early 2020. All of a sudden he started having one appearance here, one appearance there. And he's actually only had a handful of appearances this year. But I feel as though Alyssa Wong, even if you were not someone who did connect with this character so intensely, I feel like we all felt the sword break. And I feel like we all felt the loss of this character. And, you know, perhaps it's that Lin is such a dynamically powerful character, you know, not just ability-wise, but personality-wise. But I also think it's in the incredible deftness of emotional spirit that Alyssa Wong is able to craft for these characters that I felt through White Fox the loss of Swordmaster. Yeah, and I mean, just that like that, he was gone. Yeah. Well, and that doesn't detract at all from her own tragic personal story that's going on here. Oh my God. It was 
obsessed with it like it's hard to like find a new character and just be instantly invested in them and then you know sad or upset or have like strong emotions when things happen because they're a new character but with her and her backstory oh my god i was i was i was so invested in this book that i i I just i like i almost cried when things happened and i'm just like oh god oh god oh god why am i so invested so quickly which just really tells you something about the storytelling aspect of this book it was amazingly done we've read a couple of issues that uh Alyssa has written and that i've really enjoyed and one thing that i always notice that she does extremely well and it might sound like an oxymoron what i'm about to say but not everybody can not everybody writes certain characters well but i've never read a bad female character from Alyssa. every title and every issue that i've read from her she writes these really dynamic amazing women that i really i enjoy reading And I think it's a really big testament to her writing to make these characters so engaging and I think relatable to anybody, as well as these really compelling stories and narratives that she crafts for these issues to put them in. Uh, It is really kind of astounding that like she's really never ever out of all the things that we've read, nothing I've read from her has been bad. Mm. It's all been pretty good. I got to say, like even her Shang-Chi like before i read her stuff i don't think i really got a strong emotional resonance with the character himself so like just she just all around is right these really dynamic characters and i'm just like holy fuck like like i can read one story and instantly be drawn into these storylines that she's doing mm-hmm. also i'm obsessed with the the fox the the uh Kimio, the the nine tail the korean nine yes tail. oh my god i love oh. i love her design it's so cute <laughs> Not only cute and just gorgeously done, oh, yeah. like props to the artists, honestly, because drawing mythical beasts and also doing like um, anthropomorphic uh, representations, so like those half human, half animal type forms, can be super difficult. And it feels honestly like this artist really understood the assignment and had deep connections with a lot of the mythology that surrounds, you know, Asian mythological characters, because there are particular way that they are often portrayed and drawn in Asian mythology. And you can feel it in the way the wind rolls and the way the fur, you know, just everything about it just screams like these, this is being done by people who truly have connection and respect for a lot of the mythology and it just oh it's so good i just oh i love every freaking panel and i think that's best highlighted for me on digital page 30 white fox's transformation into her wolf form or fox form i i was stupid (laughs) to be fair it I can see where you got confused. If you don't specifically know that she's White Fox and you were just showing this to somebody, you would think, oh, it's a nine-tailed wolf. Yeah, but I just was like, White Fox. I'm like, horse donkey. I just, I sound like an idiot. I keep thinking she's a Pokemon, so. Yeah, you know, it's. <clears throat> she is alone in nine tails yes one of the things that uh i really liked is both lynn and ami talking about you know their shared history of past trauma and tribulations of things that formed them 
but what I liked is the change in art style to show the past, specifically Ami's. I thought the way that it was done was very beautiful, and I really enjoyed it. And I really liked that there was this kind of, this moment of rebirth for the character of Ami for her own personal journey. She talked about how she was never able to achieve her fox form. That was the last thing her mother was going to teach her before her entire clan was slaughtered. And to see a member, uh, a, you know, spirit, to see another Kumio that's not good, but is, you know, still another one, probably was a little bit shocking at first for her. And it was a really interesting thing to, you know, have a character go through. I think it is not the newest of tropes, but it's a trope that I think done here is done very well. And it's also, I don't care if it's also not a new trope. I like that the idea of you're told you're the last what is insert, and then you have your, you know, you're given interactions with other species or things that you are when you're no longer the last, and you have to reconcile with that identity that, oh, I'm not the last, even though this one was sealed away. I gotta, I just gotta say I loved everything about this, like the art, the I love the emotional triumphant accomplishment that she got by finally getting her full form to transform into that. That was that seemed like such a huge moment to see, even though this is the first time I've seen the character. I know she's had a, a series before, but like just to see like I could feel the emotional weight of that. And I was like, yes, 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 you did it. But what did you guys think about this issue? I thought this had nothing to do with Death of Doctor Strange, but I thought it was very give Alyssa Wong whatever she wants because she's very good at what she does. And I love any opportunity to see these characters. They're very magical. They're very powerful. And it's hard to find an arc that involves these characters where that doesn't come up. The fact that they're all vaguely gods comes up a number of times in War of the Realms Agents of Atlas. So I, I do think there is a reason to have them here. I just I don't know that it had a whole lot to do with the death of Doctor Strange. What did you guys think? I think it's going to read better in trade as to how it connects with the death of Doctor Strange. So I'm hopeful that they will be putting a lot more of these characters into other books as we are going through the journey of the death of Doctor Strange and what is to come. I, I would say sometimes you get in, you get taken on a journey where you're drawn into an event and you're like, ooh, what are these one-shots? Oh, what the hell is going on with these? Uh, that's me talking about you, Darkhold. But um, sometimes you're getting too... I'm Tony Stark and I've got so much skin! Sometimes you get sent on that journey and you miss that one little sentence and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And sometimes <laughs> you get sent on a journey and you're like, oh, you know, this really doesn't have anything to do with this, but I fucking love the story. And that's kind of where I am with this white box. So... <laughs> For me personally, um, I think that I was had... the most statin thing you've. For me <laughs> personally, <laughs> yes, I did that on purpose. Can I get a hot dog? <laughs> I don't need hot dog. No, um, the night mm, train. Nope, too easy. Yeah, that is a low, low hanging relish there. <laughs> but um, I. I am changing my tune a bit. I think I came a little too hard at the previous one shots of like, these didn't have anything to do with anything. But this, these issues both are not meant to advance the narrative because that's left for Doctor Strange, you know, one through five, I think it is, or however many issues it's getting through the main series. These are, this is direct aftermath of what is going on in the world because Doctor Strange died and the things that certain heroes are doing in order to protect the world from these mysterious forces that are now invading so 
if you want that, if you are somebody who enjoys that interconnectivity of the of world building of this is what's going on in South Korea right now, and these are the heroes dealing with the issues, then you want to pick this up. If you're not somebody, if you don't really particularly care about the interconnectivity and you just want to get to the main plot of things, you're probably not going to enjoy these one shots. I am glad we are exploring these worlds of these heroes, even even the little tie-ins that we've gotten, like the X-Men one where nightmare tries to run amok I'm, I'm really enjoying this like even as tangently related to death of dr strange as they are as to say this overall event been really well constructed so far and you know i can't wait to see the final outcome even though marvel like leaked it already but well at least for me i so desperately want to see these amazing characters that they have you know brought to light in more things because i i, I love that they are taking care of their corner of the world and everything but i love seeing the blending of different characters because i'm sorry new york is not just white people <laughs> i need some diversity and i want i want characters from across the world to like actually interact with each other just rather than just going oh yeah i know of them it's like no no, no i want you to know each other i want you to have like interpersonal you know likes and dislikes and conflicts and and like like oh i want to see the whole world together because it's this big gorgeous giant universe and and it needs to all have connectivity in some way or another please because i'm you know greedy no no you just want a beautiful world and i want it too Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now, our coverage of X-Men Trial of Magneto number five really centers on the idea that this book never really got its fair shake. So we personally walked away very positive on the experience of Trial of Magneto, but there were definitely some things that could have been done to help make this book more of an outright success for the incredible creative team who put in so much hard work on this title. Now, we love making this show for you absolutely every week. We hope you guys enjoy the new format. So until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment keep those mutant lights lit those Cohen gateways open don't forget to check us out over on twitter at x's for podcast as well as me nico action n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and we'll see ya hey everybody welcome back to x's for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic marvels and trials week after week through their many trial list titles i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram i guess not judging magneto at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and I'm Steven. You can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder. That's Steven with a V. And I am also an admin for House of North Star on Facebook. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. And I'm Jonah. And you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at peakjonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Toad, who came to the end of his road and was thrown into a pit for a crime that he may or may not have commit at... <laughs> I didn't really mean to do a poem there, but it just worked out. <laughs> oh, I loved the rhyming because you you have a great point here, my friend. A number of people are felon in the pit. They <laughs> and we are in for quite a trial of Magneto. So we're here to discuss Trial of Magneto number five by the incredible team of Leah Williams on writing, Lucas Wernick on art, Edgar Delgado on color art, VCs Clayton Cowles on letters, and Tom Muller on design. I want to point out Valerio Shidi and Rain Barreto did beautiful work on the covers. And for those of you who maybe haven't caught my many vaguely lectures on it, for those of you 
who wonder what the VC at the front of VCs stands for, it's Virtual Calligraphy. It's a company that Marvel contracts to do all of their main books in studio. It's of note that for some of their digital comics, they go with Blambot Studios, another studio that does lettering work. But I do just want to point out that if you're ever like, man, VCs, VC, it's not like some sort of weird title you've met, like Doctor. It's not like that or anything. It's Virtual Calligraphy. So for those of you who always wondered what that is, homie, now you know. So I want to start with kind of the history of Tom and the sort of um, the background on one through four of Tom. So Stephen, TK, you guys are newer to the show. So you guys have never had an opportunity to weigh in on the trialist Tom <laughs> before. And I would love to know what you guys thought about uh, Tom's one through four before we got to Tom five. <laughs> Well, I thought that the first issue was absolutely stellar. When it got to the middle, it I don't want to say falling apart, but meandering maybe a little bit. Um, and I actually kind of really liked the the new issue, so um, but as far as the other issues are concerned, I it was an experience to read. <laughs> I was really frustrated that X Factor got canceled and yeah. that this seemed like consolation prize. They're going to be around in this book. You know, this just as easily to me could have been a long story in the continuing adventures of X Factor. It would have been appropriate for all these characters to be here for most of this stuff to happen. So I went into it with that kind of frustration. Every issue, there was a lot of stuff to love and a lot of stuff to point to that, um, um, you know, really resonated with me. But every issue also, I found things that kind of bothered me that I was wondering about that, you know, choices that were made that I wouldn't necessarily have made. But on the whole, I, you know, it's a great story. I loved the story. I loved how it ended. So, yeah, I mean, I was saying earlier, one of the things I want to talk about is I feel like Leah Williams has gotten way too much flack for this book. I really loved it. Was it perfect? No, but I think she did a fantastic job. I agree. Now, Jonah, I know you've been covering this title with us the whole time. You know, it's so few voices were here for X Factor number one through trial number five. Jonah, as someone who's also been here since we started covering X Factor, do you see the through line or are you a little bit more feeling that very disconnect of X Factor to X Factor? Very similarly, when the cancellation of X Factor happened, I was, I think, justifiably upset as many people were because I think it was one of the better X books that we've had. And then we are, we were kind of told, okay, but you're, they're still going to be X Factoring about, and they're still the queer, you know, Scooby Doo team solving mysteries, and we're going to see him in Trial of Magneto. But this is nowhere really near anything to do with X Factor. I don't know if that this was the original way that Leah wanted to tell this story, but I do know that editorial makes a lot of different decisions and they probably were a lot of changes from the initial script and the initial idea where it might have been a little more x-factor led and focused as opposed to this kind of being a little more mismashy when it comes to perspective and who we're following and who we're meant to be listening to and whose story is the truth i don't know if i can call this a continuation of x-factor this was a miniseries that x-factor made an appearance in and they really didn't do anything the only person who kind of had any real moment was North Star when Kyle was being, you know, all detained by Magneto, and I'll phrase it that way. So this leads me to sort of kind of the crux question for the whole room, for and kind of really at the heart of this all. I think one of the driving forces behind this book was a sense of closure, completeness, and finality. 
Insofar as Magneto is considered the impetus for House of M. This was Wanda apologizing for her role in House of M. Yet in many ways, this narrative was not about Magneto or about Wanda. It felt at times like this was yet another bout of Avengers fighting X-Men. Now, I've been very surprised by the number of people who have reacted on the internet to the Avengers X-Men free comic book day with I hope it's not another Avengers versus X-Men. I think this was meant to be an event that merged the X-Line and the Avengers lines harmoniously together in a way that the constant references between Aaron's X-Men and Percy's X-Force do the same thing. The way Jerry Dugan is constantly putting references to other parts of the Marvel Universe in his X-Men. Do you guys see this book as more of a vehicle for Wanda or and, you know, the character moments with Magneto? Or did you guys feel more of a beholdenness to event plot politics throughout this title? I thought it actually balanced both quite well. You know, we're we're fully in the Krakoan era now, and we have to deal with how it fits into the larger Marvel universe, the connections between mutants and other people, like between everybody in Wanda, um, and the fact that, you know, there are friendships. The Avengers need to see this island. You know, they saw it a little bit at the Hellfire Gala. This is another instance. They're going to be interacting. So this was a way to have a story in which we got to see some of those interactions play out. We got to see you know some animosity some really close friendship but there is also a need to tie together some loose ends and to put some stuff to bed that makes certain characters very difficult to sort of have at the forefront see i don't actually think it was very avengers versus x-men personally kind of straddled that line in the very beginning and then it kind of just dissipated very quickly and then they were just kind of there when the avengers first arrived and everyone was like go get magneto he's the one who did it some people might have thought oh this is going to be avengers versus x-men and it became more avengers working with the x-men the avengers i don't really know if they served a very large purpose in this outside of just being there for wanda and being like yeah wanda was also an avenger it doesn't feel like their role really had much impact i you know i don't want to sound like i'm being unfairly harsh on this title i genuinely enjoyed this miniseries i had a really good time with it all said and done i think if if I do have some frustrations, it's I'm really beginning to look at comics financially in a lot of ways. I think because something I hear from a lot of our listeners is you convinced me to read that. I loved your coverage of issue 17 so much. I bought the first three trades for 1 through 15, and I picked up 16 and 17 from my shop. And so then I kind of feel like, you know, there's there's 24 of us, and we're all giving advice on what to read or what not to read. And we have a responsibility as voices in the ether to properly portray something. And I feel like X-Men Trial of Magneto 1 through 5 as a $9.99 digital trade on Comixology is a terrific purchase. I feel like X-Men Trial of Magneto 1 through 5 at a purchase price of $3.99 to $4.99 each was not a terrific read. And I feel as though perhaps that's my problem that I feel that I was given a $25 book that was presented to me in a specific way. But the ultimate payoff of this was, was Thunderbird at the end. So the guy who should have been at the center of this, Quicksilver, and then Toad. There was a Toad in the hole, you guys. I almost think that was the joke. 
So, okay. All right. I feel better. I said a lot of things. How do you guys feel about that idea of Trial of Magneto as a miniseries versus what many times we've felt could have been broken down to maybe an annual or a one shot or a special presentation? Something that wasn't five months of $5 books. I think this could have been a one shot. It kind of felt like Leia's consolation prize to her book getting canceled. That's my personal opinion. I agree that it could have been a one shot, um, maybe a little longer. There is, for me, you know, the first issue has a lot of meat in terms of Magneto reaping what he has sown with his children, the consequences of his actions reverberating through Wanda to the mutants for 20 years of publication, now starting to tie that up. That page of him at the end says his way of loving is expressed through rage at injustices or choosing to isolate himself so as not to burden others with this inner pain which he's been conditioned to view as his own weakness moments like that are incredibly beautiful and i do think they take time to mature the entire series resonated with me for moments like that but among the moments like that there is a lot of stuff that could have been cut and changed done differently to either add value to the five issues that we were always going to get or you know to pare things down so we got something a little more streamlined that you know we weren't paying for for over the course of months but you know five dollars each as someone mentioned earlier i think towards the middle got a little meandery but there are important parts like the introduction of old lady wanda i think there's a lot of important mythos to establish for wanda for her character going forward and for things for other writers to utilize that are really important but a lot of what was going on on krakoa a lot of the quote-unquote trial i think a lot of stuff could be cut out and you can probably get maybe like a double-sized issue or or if you really want to be bold and make it even maybe even longer, somewhere around like 75 pages. I don't know if all these pages are needed. And I don't know if this story did need five issues. I think it definitely could have been chopped down. Someone talk me down. First of all, I don't care for Toad. Like, no feels. Whatever. So, eh, put them in the hole. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the number of people in the hole right now, because you're starting to put some really good schemers down there. And, you know, if it weren't for Cypher being like, hey, listen, nature girl, curse, we gotta talk. I'm not leaving you in the hole, right? If it weren't for that... I feel as though there would be like an X-Men kill squad in the pit at this point. Um, I mean, at this point, we don't know that he's not doing that with everybody. We have no idea what goes on once they, they get below the earth. And I have been thinking about that more and more, especially after the invent events of Inferno. Clearly, Doug and the island and Warlock have some ideas about how this all should go down. And I would not be surprised to learn if whatever happens once you go into the earth is very different than what the Quiet Council thinks happens. Now, how do you guys feel in general about the the toad sinking, the sinking uh, of toad? I I'm a little bitter about it because I actually do have this weird sentimental adoration for toad. And a lot of that stems from Gen X when you find out that he's actually friends with Emma. <laughs> and I'm a little bitter that that friendship between the two of them is like never touched upon ever again. I thought it was a little much. I don't really think they needed to have some kind of weird scapegoat, but it's, scapetoad. it's nice, scapetoad. But it's nice to know that he loves Magneto that much. It does sort of speak to the larger 
sort of message here, which is Magneto is a fulcrum of good and bad things in in mutant kind. And people still follow Magneto passionately to this day. And Magneto bears the burden of that and sometimes shoulders it onto other people in really inappropriate ways when he thinks that's what has to be done. The trial of Magneto is never over because Magneto sees himself as such an important actor in all this and will continue to do what he feels needs to be done and continue to have a lot of feelings about that. And on the one hand, I really appreciate that. On the other hand, his self-importance is sometimes so frustrating, especially when you see a character that you might care about and want to see doing other things on Krakoa give up everything just to do what Magneto thinks is right. I understand the purpose of this Toad reveal, but I don't know if I can like it because it feels extremely left field, even though this whole purpose is just meant to be a way for Wanda to give this gift without it being rejected. I don't know if I, as somebody who enjoys mysteries, can be satisfied by, oh, it was just Toad and he had this magic amulet. Nothing about it just feels satisfying to me. It just feels like, okay, well, sure, I guess he did it. I agree with that. I think it actually kind of went against the way X-Factor went about their investigations in the past. It felt like they were like, oh, he did it. And we just instantly believe that he has this magical item in his possession. And I just didn't really see the, like how the team would buy that. So it was very confusing for me. The only way I can kind of have it work in my mind is essentially, you know, it's Wanda working all kinds of glamours to sort of deceive everybody, which from the get-go, I did have a lot of thoughts about her being involved in this in some way. And like try, it, it, it being almost worthless to pay attention to a lot of the clues because it would turn out that her magic had been involved in a way that would mean that the obvious answer would not work out. So in that way, I don't know, for me, it, it did work. But I do kind of agree with the idea that it would have been nice even to have a couple panels of X Factor being like, we can't, we have no other evidence and can't say anything. So we have to go with this, but we know it's not quite correct. Now, if we're going with chaos magic is that powerful, which it is, then okay, okay, okay. And like, again, none of this is about Leah Williams, because like, if I want to, I want to say that Leah Williams was in an impossible position three ways, right? Everybody keeps being like, Dugan should do this and Dugan should do that. And I'm like, Jerry Dugan should do whatever the fuck Jerry Dugan wants to do as Jerry Dugan, because he has to spend half of his time convincing you all that it's okay that he's not John Hickman. I don't want to have to convince you that it's okay that I'm not me from five minutes ago, let alone convince you it's okay that I'm not some other guy, right? So Jerry Dugan is already operating at this sort of not Hickman level disadvantage, kind of, kind of descent, kind of where nothing he does makes anybody happy. And so then all of his mistakes are exacerbated. And I feel like Leah Williams is in the same position in sort of a three-pronged attack. Number one, she's a victim of her fan-beloved book being canceled, and so many people seem to misdirect their anger at her, and there was difficulty with the reception of the last issue, and I completely respect critical viewpoints on the 10th issue. I don't respect personal attacks on Leah Williams as a human being. You can fuck right the fuck off with that shit. Thank you very much. Number two, I think the thing she is also facing is this motherfucker was called Trial of Magneto, and it was never about Magneto. We have said a million times we don't think she named it. Okay. That's not her fault. Number three, I would not want to have been the one that I like, I, I have always thought the decimation was a mistake, period. 
but I would not have wanted to be the one to undo it. Nope. That would not have been on my list of things to do today. So it's this book had everything working against it. It really, really did. And that's just not fair to this book because this could have been a moment, but because of printing schedules and COVID and Hickman leaving and paper shortages and shipping delays and the world, you know, I think this should have been its own moment well before Inferno. And instead, it's the also ran. You know, that's nobody wants to be the also ran. And that Leah Williams did it with a deftness and a kindness is really kinder than we as a fandom occasionally deserve. I completely agree with everything about that. Yeah, I mean, she handled this incredibly well. She produced something with such a significant result um, that we will call back to for a very long time. And I really do think that she tried to honor that name, Trial of Magneto, and do something with it. There just wasn't really, to get from the point A to the point B of this story, there was no way to make that name matter as much as it ought to. But she really did a lot with it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think she gives us a lot of absolutely amazing character moments to the point where she's actually my current favorite writer on any of the books. So I I agree that sometimes I feel like we don't deserve them. <laughs> a lot of people, when they get angry at media that they don't resonate with, they tend to take it out on the wrong people. Now, sometimes there might be things in here that you might not like that are directly from Leah Williams' storytelling, her design, what she wanted to do. You are allowed and entitled to believe whatever you want. However, it feels like there are fans that get weirdly vocal and they direct their anger at the wrong people. It feels like people think Leah Williams is the one to blame for everything, but it's truly not the case. I agree. And speaking of hypercritical nightmares, Stephen, you had wanted to talk about North Star. North Star is the hypercritical nightmare, not you. I just need to be clear. I would argue we're one and the same, but sure. (laughs) Basically, I love what she did. I love that Joanne, little baby Joanne, is coming back. I am just a little nervous that that means he is going into comic book limbo for as beautiful as that scene is. I feel like that's a fate worse than death for most characters. I mean, he's in a really good spot compared to a lot of people, Jubilee, because he has a human (laughs) partner that has to stay out of the mix nine times out of 10. So he is not, we're not going to see a lone wolf and cub. I'm saddled with this baby, but we're in the middle of a fight. What are we going to do? I got to leave. I can't go type of situation. I kind of worry more about what it means for Kyle, who's been getting a lot of play lately, is apparently every superhero's best friend and favorite person now kind of not being able to go to the gala because he's at home with the baby. I thought it was a sweet moment, but like, yeah, yeah, I mean, we all get nervous when when a baby shows up for a beloved character because it's like, who is going to get this character and this baby next? And what do they think should happen? That's a huge concern for me. I'm I'm actually concerned about who is going to be taking over if anybody's taking over for North Star and Kyle after with this new situation coming to light. Well, until we know a little bit more about that, there is certainly another reintroduction in this issue that cannot go undersung and undernoticed. I, you know, okay, I'm super 10,000% gay bones over Thunderbird. So excited to have him back. This is awesome. Great time. Really excited. I am, you know, inherently nervous. 
whenever you try to do an undoable thing, you know, and that's not to say that I don't want to see the undoable be done. I'm a big fan of doing the undoable, but it's that age old adage of why did no one bring back Uncle Ben? Well, because I don't want to be the guy that brings back Uncle Ben, do you? The fact that Ed Brubaker brought back Bucky, so excited to get to be a part of this era and this movement and this moment. And I love that already on Giant Size Thunderbird, we see native writers attached to the project, which is so important to me and I'm 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 nervous but excited it just needs to be done right and I know they have the best intentions and they're clearly already putting a good foot forward and that feels good I just have natural apprehension when a well you that's that's the thing you don't you can't you can't unkill Gwen Stacy and then they did and I loved it a lot and then Spider-Man's powers were from a magical spider and then I really loved it and then we got Aranya and then I really loved it and so I need to try Trust the weird. I, if you told me Immortal X-Men, you know what I mean? I need to trust the weird. How do you guys feel about this great gift we've been given in the form of two proud stars? Yeah, this could be the start of something really, really great. It is our job as readers and fans of this to be vigilant about who gets attached to projects involving these characters. And when it is people that shouldn't necessarily be telling these stories, it's important that we put our feet down and say, we're not buying that. That was like, there were other writers you could have chosen who would who need to tell these stories who don't get to. And that's who we want to see write them. So far, they're off on a really good start. And it's just going to be interesting to see what comes up from here. There are a couple of things I am older coming in this with trepidations i am a little nervous how this will affect warpath i am a little nervous how this will affect the other members like the original his original x-men team members what that'll mean for them because while i wasn't a big fan of it i understand the importance of his original death i understand what that meant for the comics and i understand why that was done even if i didn't agree with it there are choices and reasons why certain characters are dead and you choose to kill them and what that means for the surrounding surviving characters or the ones that already did die but i have very cautious optimism to see this character again and to see this character in a light where they haven't been in in a very long time i have mixed feelings about the thunderbird situation i am actually happy to have him back i actually kind of still don't understand the exact reason why he's never come back before they didn't have a working backup I am excited to see an interaction between he and Warpath, but I, from what I know about Thunderbird in the past, I actually don't really see him embracing Krakoan culture, considering just how much he loved his own prior to his death. So I'm really kind of curious about how that's going to go. And I'd like to see moments between him and Warpath, personally. I want to know what that dragon is. Oh yeah, the random dragon just flying around at the end. Yeah, what is that? I have no answer. I wasn't uh, sure if I missed something. It's Shogo's father. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would actually be kind of kind of amazing on the next page after the random dragon exodus looks just like john travolta, like john travolta? <laughs> oh, yes my... i've had that page open the whole time i was gonna end on a joke about it i am so proud of you big bro you're the best i wanted to bring that up and then i completely forgot <laughs> Uh, Lucas Warnock did so much amazing art here. I did post on Twitter about how I got much gayer after that panel of Emma Frost telling Wanda she'll erase her mind if she ever tells anybody about Go and Resurrection. Yes. Amazing stuff. And honestly, he doesn't look bad as John Travolta, but he looks exactly like John Travolta. Casting choice, maybe? No, please, um, no. Please, let's not cast John Travolta as, an, as a racist aged religious zealot. Please, let's not. 
Yeah, it's a little too close to typecasting. Um, about the dragon, my actual suggestion is potentially that would be a mutant that was resurrected, but like, they're just dragons on Krakoa now, and that's, I think that just has to be okay. Oh, it's, it's Evangeline Whedon. 